Hello and welcome to The Ricky. I'm Daniel Fuchs. I'm Stephen Gans. And I'm Gadalia May. This is The Ricky, where we keep you up to date on all the latest in clinical research. We know how busy you all are as med students and residents. It's sometimes hard to keep up with all the latest literature. So we're here to review recent research articles from top-tier medical journals and keep you up to date. The first article today is not so recent, but very relevant and often overlooked. It was printed in the New England Journal of Medicine, June 12, 2008. This article discusses type 2 diabetes and diabetic control. So let's discuss diabetes for a minute. Gadalia, can you get us all up to par? What is type 2 diabetes? Sure. So in a nutshell, really quickly, type 2 diabetes is the most common type of diabetes and is characterized by varying degrees of hyperglycemia and insulin resistance and deficiency. They have many symptoms like polydipsia, polyuria, nocturia, and blurry vision. Stephen, remind us of the technical A1C numbers, please. Sure thing. So normal A1C is less than 5.7, and above 6.5 is considered diabetes. The standard of care is to attempt to lower the diabetic's A1C down to around 7. This study wanted to find out if lowering the A1C in diabetics even closer to the non-diabetic patients would be better, or if the traditional targeted A1C of 7 is better. Just so I don't keep you in suspense too long, the study found that as compared with the standard target of 7, the use of intensive therapy with a target of 6.5 actually increased mortality and did not significantly reduce major cardiovascular events. The study compared several effects such as heart attack, stroke, hypoglycemic events, and more. The next time you have a diabetic patient, impress your attending with this info. And don't overtreat your patients. On to the next. In this next article published in the JAMA on April 6, 2022, the author wants to know if among patients undergoing knee replacement surgery, does liposomal bupivacaine and bupivacaine hydrochloride administered at the surgical site improve post-operative recovery at 72 hours and post-op pain from 6 to 72 hours compared to bupivacaine hydrochloride alone. Okay, great. But can you remind us about some of the benefits of liposomal drug administration, Stephen? Sure. A liposome is a spherical vesicle primarily composed of lipids, various proteins, and specific ligands. Drugs loaded within the liposome can deliver a concentrated and tissue-targeted effect. This allows for improved therapeutic efficacy, increased drug target selectivity, and decreased drug toxicity. So basically, the author is asking if there is better post-op recovery and pain management after knee replacement surgery with liposomal bupivacaine versus the non-liposomal bupivacaine hydrochloride? Correct. How do they do the study? So this was a multi-centered, patient-blinded, pragmatic, randomized clinical superiority trial that involved 533 participants in 11 institutions within the National Health Service in England. Half were assigned to the liposomal bupivacaine plus bupivacaine hydrochloride, and the other half were given bupivacaine hydrochloride alone. Tell us, Gadalia, what were the results? They found that there was no statistical significant difference in quality of recovery at 72 hours or pain at six hours and 72 hours. However, there was one statistical significant difference in pain scores the evening of surgery with the liposomal bupivacaine trial having lower pain scores. With all the advantages that liposomal drug administration has to offer, it is difficult to accept that there was no difference found in this trial. However, while I was reading this article, they mentioned a possible reason. Liposomal bupivacaine exhibits a bimodal dose-related profile. 
meaning an initial peak release within one hour, followed by a second peak within 12 to 36 hours. And the second peak is due to the release of the drug from the liposomes. However, the rate at which liposomals release this drug has been proposed to be related to the vascularity of the surrounding tissue. And with the knee being the least vascular of all surgical models assessed in past studies, that might be the reason that liposomal bupivacaine did not perform as well as they had hoped, and a higher dose may be needed to see a significant effect. Okay, wow. So what's the takeaway? In this clinical trial, periarticular bupivacaine together with bupivacaine hydrochloride did not improve post-op recovery or pain compared to bupivacaine hydrochloride alone in patients who had undergone knee replacement surgery. On to the next. I wanted to share a very interesting article that I chanced upon recently. It was so surprising that I had to read it three times. Do tell, Stephen. In terms of risk factors for atherosclerosis and MI, I've always thought of LDL as the bad guy, and to a much lesser degree, triglycerides. I think most people tend to think of lipid management for prevention of MI in terms of minimizing the supervillain LDL. Yeah, I guess I always kind of thought LDL was the villain with a sinister grin, and HDL was a superhero in the cape. Well, you may still be correct about HDL being a hero, but the authors set up a rather large prospective cohort analysis using MI as the primary study outcome. And they found that rather than the type of lipoproteins, higher amounts of apolipoprotein D containing lipoproteins, therefore HDL excluded, was tied to a greater risk of MI. This was really interesting to me. So rather than the content of the lipoproteins, cholesterol or triglyceride heavy, it was really the amount of apolipoprotein B containing lipoprotein. Kadaya, would you mind reminding us which lipoproteins contain apolipoprotein B? Sure. Chylomicrons contain ApoB48, and VLDL, IDL, and LDL all contain ApoB100. HDL is the only lipoprotein that does not contain any apolipoprotein B. Yep. So we may owe LDL an apology after all. Based on this study, it seems that it may not be the contents in LDL that is harmful, but rather the apolipoprotein B that it, as well as many of the other lipoproteins, carry that causes the harm. This suggests that ApoB may be the primary driver of atherosclerosis and that lowering the concentration of all ApoB-containing lipoproteins should be the focus of therapeutic strategies. And that's all we have for you today. Thank you to all of our listeners. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at therickyouteam at gmail.com. Follow us on Spotify, Instagram, and Facebook at The Rick Team. As always, thanks for listening.